It is good to see everyone here today. We are thankful for your presence at the Willow Avenue Church of Christ. Before we get started this morning, I have just a few announcements, and then we will get into the sermon. The first thing I want to make mention of is we're going to have questions and answers tonight. I have got uh, some really, really good questions. I really enjoyed working on them. Sometimes we have questions that are turned in from other places. We have a lot of people that watch online, and I am glad for that, and I am glad that they turn in questions. But tonight, I think every single question we have comes from members of the congregation here. And so that uh, probably makes it even better. Secondly, I have been announcing about this book called Know Your Bible by Brother Frank Dunn. And I have been sending it out in a PDF form for anyone who would like to have it. But a lot of people have said they want a hardback copy of the book. I looked, and they were $22.95 to buy the book. I think they're getting ready to raise it to $24.95 because of cost going up. But they said if we bought it by the case that we could get them for $12 a piece. And so I ordered 80 copies of the book. They have arrived, and uh, they are going to be out in the foyer tonight available just on a first-come, first-served basis. And Brother Kevin Smith is going to be set up here on the table. And uh, we are selling them for exactly what we paid for them. The church is not making any money off of this. But if you would like to get a copy of that, uh, go and get it. I have not had 80 copies requested. So I ordered more than uh, the number that were requested. So it shouldn't be a problem getting the books. Of course, if we do run out by some reason, uh, we will get some more of those. But that will be available tonight. And also, I want to thank those who have given me pictures for the game we've played. Can you identify this person? Uh, I have been just about out, and I am getting close to having to finish up, but I've got a lot of people who haven't given me pictures yet. And so, if you would do that, I would appreciate it, and uh, we can maybe keep it going for several more weeks. This last week was such a good week doing the Seeky First event. I enjoyed it so very, very much. As I was sitting listening to these lessons on heaven, I got to thinking, what if I were to simply write down all the verses that talk about the judgment day and just use them for the points of a sermon? And I was jotting them down through the week, through the lessons, and that's what I'm going to do today. We're going to talk about the judgment day. I realize there's too many passages to fit into one, one sermon, but we're going to cover seven events of the Judgment Day today. Beginning in Acts 24 and verse 25, the Apostle Paul stood and he talked. He reasoned with Governor Felix. The Bible says he talked about righteousness, temperance, and the judgment to come. And the text says that Felix trembled. That is, he was scared to death when he heard it. He shook in his boots, we would say. He trembled. But then he said this. He said, go your way. When I have a convenient time, I will send for you and listen to you again. The Apostle Paul preached a sermon about the judgment day that made a wicked man shake in his boots. And friends, if you are not right with God discussing the judgment day, ought to indeed be terrifying. We're going to talk about the Judgment Day today. We're going to look at it in seven events, seven points, seven scenes, if you will. 
Here is the first one. Number one, I want you to observe that the judgment day is going to be a day just like any other. John was stuck in traffic. He was running late. His temper was rising. He looked ahead down the road and he could see a construction crew. He could hear people honking their horns and people yelling at one another. It was very irritating. Across town, there was a mother who was sitting in a waiting room. She had her little girl who had a fever of 104. She'd been sitting in the waiting room at the ER for two hours. It was hurting her heart to watch her little girl that way. Down the hall in the hospital, a gentleman was taking cancer treatment. He had been diagnosed two months earlier, and the treatments were hard. His wife would bring him to the appointments, and she was worried about him. On the other side of the world, there was a couple who was sitting down to dinner at their, fav their favorite restaurant. It was going to be a special night. They'd been planning it for months. He was going to pop the question that night, but she didn't know it. But it wasn't going to happen. On another continent, there was a family in their hut. The rain was beating on the roof. In fact, it was starting to trickle through the roof inside. The family, the children, were terrified because the wind was very strong. And in the sky, there was an airplane in which there was a businessman. He was over the Atlantic Ocean, and he was sleeping, listening to the dull roar of the engine and the wind. What's the point? The point is, the judgment day is going to be a day just like any other. Normal activities will be going on around the world. Business as usual, and yet here's our verse. Matthew 24, 37 says, But as it was in the days of Noah, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. That is business as usual until the day that Noah entered into the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Scene number one, it's going to be a day like any other day. Scene number two, the trumpet will sound, and every eye shall see him. Here's our verse. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. It's going to be a day like any other. People will be engaging in normal activities. It could be today, it could be tomorrow, and the whole world is suddenly, activities will suddenly be interrupted by the voice of the archangel. This is probably a reference to Jude 7 through 9 when it speaks of Michael the archangel. And the world is going to be filled with the sound of the trumpet of God. You know, every now and then, I will hear the thunder that is rolling in, in a storm. Sometimes I'll hear an airplane, and that sound will be so loud in the sky. For just a second, I think to myself, is it now? You ever had that experience? And you think, is this the judgment day? But friends, this is not going to be like the sound of an airplane. It's going to be a sound that will fill the entire world. For some, it will be a victory cry. For some, it will be a battle cry. Matthew 25, 31 says, Then the Son of Man will come in His glory with all of the holy angels. I want you to envision this. There will be a day like any other that's going to be interrupted with the sudden sound of the trumpet. And then we will look into the sky. We will see the Son of Man. 
And the Bible says he will have all of the holy angels. Can you imagine that? You know, there are going to be, there have been times in which God has dispatched angels. You remember that angels were sent to Lot about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? You remember that Jacob wrestled with an angel? You remember in 2 Kings chapter 6, the mountain was filled with horses and chariots. Apparently, these were angels. And so there have been times when God has sent angels. But friends, when the Lord comes again, it won't be an angel. It won't be some angels. But the city of God will be emptied of the angelic creation. But secondly, notice that they will be the holy angels. This speaks to their character. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4 says, The angels that sinned, God cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. But when the Lord comes, those that come with Him will be His holy angels. They will share in the nature of the one whom they accompany. But thirdly, observe that they will be His mighty angels. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9 says that when Jesus comes again, He shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. What does that mean? They're going to be powerful beings. One angel can kill hundreds of thousands of men, but this is going to be all of the angels. Revelation 1 and verse 7 says, Behold, when He comes in the clouds, every eye shall see Him. Friends, every eye is going to see Him. I don't know how that's going to work. How could people in all parts of the world see Him? This earth is a, is a, a sphere. It's a ball. How can people on one side of the earth see Him in the sky and people on the other side of the earth will see Him in the sky? I don't know how that's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And so, one day it will be life as normal around the world. Some will be sleeping, some will be working, the trumpet will sound, the Lord will appear, the sky will be filled with all of the angels, every eye will look upon Him, every knee will bow. You know, I imagine that there will be some people, when they hear the trumpet, they're going to be terrified because they're going to know what this means. There are going to be some people who are going to feel terror throughout their bodies. They're going to want to cry for forgiveness because they know the Bible, but it's going to be too late. Human nature is going to be that we will think, let me fix it. But it will already be too late. In the first fraction of a millisecond that the trumpet begins to sound, it will be too late. I can remember when I was in school, and we would be taking a test and we would be furiously writing right till the end, and then the buzzer would sound, the bell would ring, and people would keep writing. You remember that? They would keep going and try to get a, another question or two answered, and finally the teacher would say, put your pencils down. But when the trumpet sounds, there won't be another second. You won't have a moment to say, Lord, please forgive me. You will be called to God in the state that you were in at the beginning of the blast of the trumpet. Scene number three will arise. John 5, 28 says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves, this is the Greek word for tombs, all that are in the tombs shall hear His voice and shall come forth. This is a reference to the resurrection of the body. 
1 Corinthians 15.52 says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trump shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. The dead being raised incorruptible has reference to those who are in the Hadean realm. We shall be changed. That has a reference to those who are still living at the day of judgment. And then he says, The corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And so when the dead are raised incorruptible, what happens is Hades is going to be emptied of spirits. These souls who are in paradise and the souls that are in torment are going to be brought back. They're going to be reunited with their bodies, but it's not going to be like this body. It's going to be a, a spiritual, eternal body. I know that because 1 Corinthians 15.50 says, Flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so the souls of the righteous that are in Hades, the souls who are in paradise, the Lord is going to bring them with Him. He's going to empty them from Hades. He's going to bring them with Him when He appears in the clouds. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 4.14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus, that is, those who are dead. The denominational world believes that those that Jesus will bring with Him are those who have been raptured, and they've been in heaven for seven years, and He's going to bring them back with Him. The Bible doesn't say anything about this rapture. These are those who have been in Hades. He will bring these souls with Him, and their bodies are going to res resurrect on the earth from the tombs, and then the Spirit, who is really the essence of what I am. I'm a spirit, right? I dwell in a body, but I'm a spirit. The Lord will bring the spirits, the bodies will resurrect on the earth, and then the spirits of the dead will be uh, reunited with their resurrected bodies. And then we will meet Him in the air. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, The dead in Christ shall rise first. That is, the bodies of the faithful will resurrect. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet them in the air. Their bodies will be resurrected, and then we together with them will arise to meet the Lord. Matthew 24.39 says, Also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. This is not a reference to the so-called rapture as some people think. Rather, this is talking about the separation that's going to take place at the end of time. Two people will be working together. One is a Christian and the other is not. And suddenly, they will be separated. One will be called to the right hand of God, the other to the left. The next scene, scene number four, this earth will be destroyed. 2 Peter 3 and verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord, the judgment day, will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are therein will be burned up. Nestle Aland, in their Greek text, translated this verse uh, this way. It says, It will not be found. The earth and its works will not be found. It will be gone. 
Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. The Bible says this earth will be gone. It will be dissolved. It quite literally will not be found. There is a doctrine that's taught by some called the renovated earth. They teach that this earth is going to be burned off and then it will be redone and we will dwell here, here forever on this earth. Friends, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches this earth will be dissolved. It will not be found. Jesus said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. The place we will spend eternity is not on this earth. This earth will be gone. Scene number five is the judgment. I will be called to heaven before the judgment bar of God. I want to make several observations. The first one is this. At the judgment bar of God, I will not be alone. Now, why do I say that? Because Matthew 10, 15 says the people of Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be there. Matthew eleven twenty two 22 says the people of Tyre and Sidon, they will be there. Matthew 12, 41 says the people of Nineveh, to whom Jonah preached, they're going to be there. Verse 42 says the queen of the south, who said of Solomon the half has not yet been told, she's going to be there. 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 says, the living and the dead will be there. Revelation 20 and verse 12 says, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Acts 17, 31 says, in the day in which the Lord shall judge the world. Which world? The world that God loved and for whom He gave His Son, John 3, 16. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now notice, Sodom and Gomorrah, Tyre and Sidon, Nineveh, Queen of the South, living, dead, small, great, world, and all. And so friends, when I stand at the judgment bar of God, I will not be alone. Second observation about the judgment. At the judgment bar of God, I will be alone. Now somebody says, now wait a minute, Don, that's a contradiction. But rather than being a contradiction, it's somewhat paradoxical because both are true. In the sense that everyone will be there, I will not be alone. But in the sense that I will be judged individually, I will be alone. 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That is the universality of the judgment. But then notice how he transitions. That everyone may receive the things done in His body, according to that which He hath done, whether it be good or bad. Friends, I have oftentimes heard it said that Calvary is personal. Galatians 2 and verse 20, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's not a ransom for all in that verse. It's me. It's not the world there. It's me. Friends, I believe if I had been the only person the Lord ever created, that He still would have sent Christ to die for me. Calvary is personal. But listen, so is the judgment. 
Friends, as you and I stand at the judgment bar of God to be judged, it will be as if you are the only person that God ever made. Friends, the judgment is going to be lonely. Don't you ever forget that. There will be no comfort in the fact that I lived in a Christian nation. There will be no comfort in the fact that I lived in a county that had lots of churches of Christ. There will be no comfort in the fact that I was part of a strong congregation or that most of my family are are Christians or that my daddy was a gospel preacher or my granddaddy was an elder. We're not going to be judged that way. Friends, the judgment is going to be personal. At the judgment bar of God... I will not be alone. At the judgment bar of God, I will be alone. Thirdly, at the judgment bar of God, there will be a separation. Matthew 25, 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on the throne of His glory, and all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another. As a shepherd divides the sheep, from the goats, and he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. I cannot even imagine what it would be like to realize that I'm standing on the left. I want you to think about religious people who know this passage, people who know their Bibles and are familiar with Matthew 25. Think about the shock that they will experience on that day when they realize I'm standing on the left. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear His voice and shall come forth. They that have done good under the resurrection of life, they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. Notice that there are two groups, damnation and life. And then shall be gathered before Him all nations, and they shall be divided as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. Notice two groups, sheep and goats. And whosoever shall uh, be found not written there. Notice that there are two groups. Some are written, some are not. To you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord shall descend from heaven with the shout. And the Lord will take vengeance on those who know not God. Some will receive rest. Others will receive vengeance. I could go on and on, but in every one of these passages, mankind is divided into two groups. You will be in one group or the other. So what does this mean? If you're not in this group, you will be in the other group. That means if I'm not in the group of the saved, then I'm going to be over here in the group that is lost eternally. If I were to ask you this morning, I want you to write down a list of people who are notoriously wicked in Cookville, Tennessee. You might could come up with a couple of names, but it would probably be hard to come up with a very long list of people who are notoriously wicked. Now, what's the point? The point is this. The majority of the world is not in the category with the Al Capones and the Dillingers and the Hitlers and the Saddam Husseins. But somebody might say, well, I'm not in that group, but I certainly wouldn't count myself in the group with Peter and James and Paul and John. And so what they're saying is this. In other words, I am too good to go to hell, but I'm not good enough to go to heaven. And so there's another group. There's a third group over here. There's another destiny somewhere. Friends, no such thing as that is taught in the Bible. The Bible is extremely restrictive. At the judgment, I will be in one group or the other. Scene number six, the books will be open. Yes, we read in Revelation 20 and verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books 
plural, were opened, and the dead were judged out of those things written in those books. It appears that there are going to be three books that are going to be open on that day. The first book is the book of life. Revelation 20 and verse 15 says, And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 7. When it talks about the judgment, the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels and flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and who have not obeyed the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when you obey the gospel, your name gets written in the book of life. These are people who haven't obeyed the gospel to become Christians. Their names are not in the book of life. That book will be opened. But then add to that, there will be the book of the deeds of my life. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body, according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And so the book of my life is going to be open. But then I read in John 12, 48, that the word of God is going to be open. Jesus said, He who rejects me and does not receive my word, he has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. James 2.12 says, So speak ye, and so do, as they that will be judged out of the perfect law of liberty. And so on that day, my life is going to be weighed against the word of God. And so on one side of the scales is going to be the book of my deeds. On the other is going to be the book, the Word of God. And so when the Lord opens the book and it says, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved, and then He opens the book of my life and I've not been baptized, I'm going to be weighed, friends. What's going to happen on that day when he reads, Be not conformed to this world, and then he opens the book of my life, and he sees that my speech and my clothing and my recreation, that that I've been worldly, I'm going to be weighed, and I'm going to come up short. What's going to happen on that day when he opens the book of his word, and it says, Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, and then he opens up the book of, of my life, and it says that, I've been missing worship services willfully. Friends, on that day, the books will be opened. But here is our seventh and final scene. And this is, there will be an eternal separation. You know, there are a lot of separations in our lives. For example, sometimes there are separations that occur due to job opportunities. That is, someone moves away from home because their job is taking them away and they leave us and we're sad about that. Sometimes separations occur because of military service. We have those in this congregation who've served in the military. Maybe you are a family member and your husband or your son has been taken away and and you know how sad and how painful that separation is. There are separations that come due to death. How many have even stood in this auditorium right here in front of this pulpit and said goodbye to the dearest on earth to you? Sometimes there are separations that come due to educational pursuits. That is, your child goes off to college and for the first time in 18 years, that bedroom is empty. I remember when we took Macy to Fried Hardman and we hugged her goodbye Sherry broke down crying. Macy broke down crying. I didn't think I would, but I broke down crying. We're all crying in the room. And then Sherry and I leave, and we get in the car, and we're headed home. And you know what we said? In three months, we get to see her again. 
We're already thinking about thanksgiving. You see what, we're, what I'm talking about? It's a prospect of reunion. The husband who's in the military and he gets sent to Afghanistan, what do you say? He'll be home in 13 months. It's the prospect of reunion. Even the memorial service, even at that funeral, what do you say when you look for the last time in that cold casket? Mama, I see you in heaven. You know, in my opinion, one of those beautiful songs that we ever sing is, if we never meet again this side of heaven, I'll meet you on that beautiful shore. Why? Because it is the prospect of reunion. But ladies and gentlemen, I am about to tell you about a separation that at the close of which there will never be a reunion. And that's when God separates the sheep from the goats. And so that means that if your companion is saved and you are not, you will have seen them for the last time. You will never again see that innocent face. You will never feel that comforting embrace. If you are lost and your children are saved, for the last time you will have said to your son, goodbye. If you are lost on the day of judgment, there will be no prospect of reunion. At the judgment bar of God, I will participate in the eternal separation. Matthew 25, 46, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. How long is eternal? How long is a million years? You ever thought about that? You say, that, that's a long time. Did you know that when the Lord left this earth, if we look back to the time that Jesus ascended back into heaven, that not even a million days have passed since then? I calculated this up. If the Lord left the earth in AD 33, at the end of the year 2022, there, will have trans there transpired approximately 726,000 days. Not years. Not even a million days have passed since the Lord left this earth, and yet we think how long ago that was. But friends, eternity is not a million days. It's not a million months. It's not a million years. It's not a million decades. It's not a million centuries. We are talking about an expanse that has a beginning, but you never leave the beginning. That is hard for us to conceive. You see, in eternity, you don't mark off the days of your calendar. Friends, at the judgment bar of God, I will begin my eternity, and I will forever and ever be in a place of eternal bliss or eternal torture. I have got to tell you, the thought of that, the thought of dying and being lost, terrifies my soul. There is no looking to the end. There will be no marking off of the days. It will be torture and torment today and tomorrow and the next day, and it will never end. Friends, that thought makes me think I will do anything I have to to make my life right with God, whether it be swallowing my pride, whether it be giving up earthly joys, whether it be confronting fear, overcoming sin, doing without, whatever it is seems so unimportant when I consider the horror of losing my soul. Acts 17.31 says that God has appointed a day in which He will judge the world. Friends, there is a day coming, and it's going to be a day that's going to start like any other. But on that day, the trumpet will sound. The Lord will be in the sky with all of His holy angels. Every eye shall see Him. Every knee shall bow. The dead will rise, 
The living will be changed, will be brought before God. We will be separated to the right and to the left, and we will be judged according to the deeds done in our body, and we will begin our eternity. The question this morning is, are you ready for that day? This entire last week, we spent talking about heaven. That is, if you're a child of God and you're faithful, you've got that to look forward to, and oh, what a wonderful thing it will be. But if you're not, the good news is you're still on time side of eternity, and you can fix this. You can change this. This is a good news sermon because it's not too late. But if you're not right when the trumpet sounds, there will be no more tragic news that could take place because it will be too late. There will be no scrambling. There will be no begging. There will be no praying because it will be too late. You know, it is interesting to me, as I was studying through this, I observed that there are two conversations that are recorded on the judgment day between mankind and God. The first one is in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, have we not done this and this and this, that I will say unto them, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. That is, I don't know you. You're not one of my children. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9 says, They don't know God and haven't obeyed the gospel. This is talking about people who have never become Christians. The second conversation that I read about that will take place on the Day of Judgment is in Matthew chapter 24, where the Lord is going to have this conversation. He's going to say, I was sick, and I was in prison, and I was hungry, and I was naked, and and you cared for me. And the righteous are going to say, Lord, when did that happen? And then to the unrighteous, he's going to say the same thing, and he's going to say, you didn't do these things. And they're going to say, Lord, when did this happen? Something occurred to me as I was reading that, and I thought, the Lord has already addressed those who have not obeyed the gospel and who did not know him. And I got to thinking about this second conversation. Could it be that he's specifically referencing those who did know him? They did obey the gospel because those who didn't have already been addressed. Maybe we are looking at at least it certainly includes those who knew him, obeyed the gospel, and were Christians, but had not lived faithfully. They didn't show their care and their love and concern for their fellow man. They didn't feed the hungry and the sick and go to those who were in prison and take care of the naked and things that express the love that we ought to have for others. Could it be... In fact, certainly it does include Christians who, because of their lack of love and faithfulness, are on the left-hand side. Friends, that scares me maybe more than anything else, that I might be a child of God and I might not live faithfully. That's why we have to examine ourselves, whether we're in the faith, whether we're right with God, because I want to go to heaven. I so enjoyed the thoughts we had this last week talking about heaven, but this is going to be the day we will go to one place or the other. Maybe this morning you're here and you are not prepared for eternity. You're not ready for the day of the Lord. The Bible teaches to be a Christian, to have your sins forgiven, to start walking that path to eternity headed toward heaven. A person must hear, believe, repent, confess, 
and be baptized and then be faithful in his service. Maybe this morning you say, I don't know about that. I want to have a study. We would be so happy to do that. Maybe you say, I do know. I've been putting it off, but this morning I'm ready to put the Lord on in baptism. We would be delighted to assist you. The water is ready. Maybe you're here as a child of God, but you haven't been walking in the light. Maybe you've sinned publicly. You want to address that publicly and ask for our prayers. We would be very honored if we could go to God and pray on your behalf. This morning, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, won't you come? Together we stand and sing the invitation song.